You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about how to figure out which books are coming out and when and how to get your little grubby hands on them. Get those little... (laughs) Bill, little chocolate-covered hands on them. And we're kicking <laughs> off spooky season with author and librarian Becky Spratford. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I am about a quarter of the way through um, Charlie Jane Andrews' new book, Never Say You oh. Can't Survive, How to Get Through Hard Times by Making Up Stories, which is great. It's a nonfiction sort of advice book for writers. So all y'all who are like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo this year, you know, any of you people, I know we have a ton of authors listen to to the show. It's great. Um, So I didn't know, but in, um, uh, so I guess Charlie Jane Anders' father died of COVID. um, And um, Charlie Jane had a tough time during 2020, as a lot of people did. And she talks a lot about, using writing as catharsis and, you know, and, um, and, and writing as a means of, um, as like, as almost like a rebellious act against the world when the world is going to shit. And, and there's this part, it's just in the very opening that I put on my Instagram. And I will say that like so many people responded to it where she was talking about how during, like, there's a lot of people who write like sci-fi fantasy and stuff who are like, oh, am I being political enough? Am I doing like the right thing? But, like, if a soldier is at war, the greatest, um, I'm not quoting her directly, by the way, but um, the greatest thing a soldier could do would be to uh, uh, fantasize about something outside of it. Fantasize, like, a world beyond this. And um, that's what, and so it basically, what's nice, especially, especially coming from, uh, you know, I make horror movies, I write, like, genre stuff, and, like, reading um, about how how it's important, that kind of stuff is important. Escapist literature is important. As you know, I love escapist literature. I love escapist movies. And, and how, no matter what, it is going to have some politics in it. So there's just some interesting things in there about that. But then also, there's some really basic good writer stuff. Like, I just read this whole part about when you have an idea and you're like, what, how do, should I, continue this and then you feel bad when you leave this idea behind and how you shouldn't feel bad because like that's an idea you can come back to 10 years from now because it's kind of like dating except you would never maybe go back to someone 10 years from now I don't know if you would anyway Charlie Jane Andrews gives you a ton (laughs) of great advice it's it's really interesting to hear her process and to hear about her journey because she talks a lot about like stories she wrote at the beginning and also um uh, transitioning um, and how that affected her writing is just really fascinating and um, and just a great kind of how-to for writers, but I think non-writers would enjoy it as well. But also writers of any genre and any medium, I think, as well, because obviously, like, I write um, uh, screenplays, so it's, and, but I think it totally applies to me as well. It's really cool. Um, what are you reading? Um, I am reading The House with Chicken Legs by Sophie Anderson, which is a middle grade book that I found out about during our Maximum Fun Drive when somebody, I forget the person who uh, uh, signed up to be a Max Fun subscriber and um, we gave them a book recommendation and they were asking for a book about sassy houses. And I found this book and I was like, oh my God, I got to read this. <laughs> and so I got it. I bought it and I did. Um, it's this amazing middle grade book about this young girl. She's 12 years old. And it's this like a fantastic coming of age story about um, this girl and sh- her grandmother is Baba Yaga. So this girl lives in the Baba Yaga house with the chicken legs with her with Baba Yaga. And like their her job is to help Baba Yaga sort of um, help soul like people who have been who've died recently cross over to the next realm. Um, the only thing is she fucking hates it. Like she wants to settle down and she wishes she lived in a house that just stayed in one place. And she wants friends like real human being friends instead of just like the dead people that come to their house every night. Um, but she's meant to be the next Baba Yaga and, um, her, she's very frustrated about it until, um, 
some things happen and uh, I won't, I won't spoil anything, but a bunch of things happen. There's a big twist and uh, she has to end up figuring out who she is, what she wants to do. Um, It's so much fun. It's just like one of those middle grade books that is so adorable and super fun and whimsical, but also has a lot of heart and is about really serious subjects. And it's such a great coming of age story. Uh, So that's The House with Chicken Legs by Sophie Anderson. And mine is Never Say You Can't Survive, How to Get Through Hard Times by Making Up Stories by Charlie Jane Anders. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Trisha wrote in, in episode 205, Mallory spoke about giving books a second chance, specifically that she has reread books that had once disappointed her and wound up loving the books after all. That has definitely happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Patricia says that this is so me. One personal example was the book House of Leaves by Mark D- Mark Z. Danielewski. Mm. I tried to read that book 20 years ago when it was newly out and all the literary rage. Could not do it. The story was too dry and too hard to read and it was a chore. So I tossed it on the shelf and there it remained. Then five years later, when I was packing to move, I tried again. I loved it. I couldn't put the dang book down and spent many sleepless nights and red eyed days devouring the book. I kept it. Fast forward another few years and I decided to revisit it. I couldn't get into it again. I was all, (laughs) how did I love this book? But again, I kept it. And all these years later, I just pulled it down and am currently reading it. And again, I am loving it. Wow. Books are weird or I am weird or both. Thanks for validating my experience. I don't think Trisha's weird. I think this is like a really common thing. I totally agree. And I think Trisha's, your taste is just going through waves. I don't think it's that weird. No, I don't. Trisha, you were absolutely not weird. So we talk on the show all the time about how important it is to recognize that so much of uh, uh, the reading experience is what you're bringing to the book and where you are in your life. And if you're too tired or you're stressed out or or whatever. And so much of picking a good book to read is about what's going on in your brain at the time. Mm hmm. Olivia wrote in and said, I'm a little late to the game when it comes to Reading Glasses podcast. I just finished episode 10. But in those 10 episodes, I feel as though I found kindred spirits in you both when it comes to the literary and the cinematic arts. Thank you. Um, Last night, my boyfriend, two plus years, Andrew, proposed to me and I said, yes. Ah, congratulations, Congratulations. Of the countless reasons I consider him the love of my life, his friendship, a shared love of the arts, his humor, his encouragement, his support, his enthusiasm for Dungeons and Dragons, and above all, his love and trust. It is the promise of a handmade bookshelf and shelf for my mugs that makes my heart blush and swoon. <laughs> Hell yeah. He is quite the catch, huh? He also wants to get an Audible account for us to share. That sounds great. Um, as, Very romantic. As an early bird, I usually read first thing in the morning, mug in hand, while enjoying my current read. Looks familiar, right? I snapped the picture below, which we hopefully can post on Instagram, to send to family and friends while we wait for the pictures from our photo shoot to arrive. As a well-known book whale, this did not surprise anyone, including my fiancé. Thank you for, uh, what does the picture look like, Mallory? I can I can pull it up right now. Also, I'm extremely intrigued because I've never heard the phrase book whale before. I think we Are used we book it. Whales? I think we used it early on. Did, is that us? I think that's us. Mallory's been through like four houses since then. I know. I move basically like every year. It's like a whole different life. Oh my God. She's reading Lady from the Black Lagoon. Oh. oh. Very sweet. <laughs> I love it. Very Gorgeous sweet. Gorgeous. Beautiful engagement ring, too. Also, I'm pulling up a photo. Yes, they're a very adorable couple. Look very bookish. Ooh, like, imagine it, someone proposing to you and be like, I will make you bookshelves. That's a, <laughs> like, what, what a promise. Slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your work, whether it's projected on a silver screen, streaming through earbuds, or printed on the best paper stock one can behold. I cannot wait to tune in again soon. Ah, thank you so much. Well, 200 episodes later, you'll get to hear us read your email. <laughs> hold, 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 hold on tight olivia you'll wait we'll you're there in for a ride what a ride that's <laughs> cool as fuck congratulations um so quick bookmark reminder if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out uh next sunday is our erotica book club on september 5th on our instagram reading glasses podcast um on on Instagram Live, me and Bria are going to be discussing Mangoes and Mistletoe by Adriana Herrera. 
the queer foodie holiday novella. We are so, so pumped. This is going to be a blast. Um, I'll be drinking because why not? It's Sunday. Um, Bria may or may not, uh, but I'll definitely have something. Um, we're really excited to talk about this uh, with all of you. And remember, it's a novella. It's wicked short. If you're listening to this now and you're like, oh my God, I only have a weekend to read it. You can totally do it. It's not super long. Um, and uh, you, you're going to want to tune in for this. This is going to be a blast. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want to look list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, before we f- talk about figuring out which books are coming out, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is supported in part this week by Feels CBD. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Things like stress, anxiety, pain, all those things you really dislike. And Feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD designed to help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. There's no hangover or addiction. Y'all, I have friends that swear by CBD. They think this is the only way that they can get up in the morning. It's the only way they can get their work done. It just helps them to get rid of their stress and their anxiety. It. This is such a cute CBD too. Can I say that it's cute? It's a cute CBD. It arrived at my house in the most adorable package. Feels. It's very cool. And Feels offers a free CBD to help guide your personal experience so you can find your perfect dose. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash glasses and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash glasses to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order. That's half. And get free shipping. Feels.com slash glasses. Glasses. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC, or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time. And we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. This week, we're talking about a problem that many people write in about, figuring out which books are coming out when. It is a constant issue. Here's one listener named Melissa who wrote in about it. I want to spend 2021 reading more new releases. I've been primarily a backlist reader most of my life and want to change that since I know how important those first week sales are for authors. The thing is, I can't seem to find a simple calendar of new slash upcoming releases. The closest I have found was something from Publishers Weekly, but it tells you nothing about the books themselves and doesn't include new editions of older works. I'm a collector, so I'd also love to know when, say, a new cover of The Hobbit comes out or new and sometimes expanded paperbacks of last year's hardcovers. The most anticipated upcoming releases articles from blogs and review websites do do nothing for me. My wheelhouse is all over the place and I've loved books in the past that have been totally shafted by their publishers, marketing departments and never ended up on those types of lists. And on the other side of that, hated others that were widely hyped. I know this makes me sound a little nutty, but I just love a comprehensive list. But my Google foo has failed me and I'm genuinely shocked this doesn't seem to exist. The websites of the big five publishers don't even seem to have calendars from what I can see. Would you guys know where I can find something like this? Thanks in advance and give my love to your pets. Thank you for the pet love. What's a Google foo? Google foo, like, like Kung Fu, but with Google, Ah. it's like your skills with Google. Um, So the thing about it is that Melissa isn't wrong. I know. It seems absolutely fucking ridiculous, but there's no central database for each book that comes out every week. 
There's not, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the first person to do this will be a bookish hero and they will deserve the praise because hundreds of thousands of books come out each year and it's a tough job. Um, even, even websites that try to do a weekly roundup of books that come out every Tuesday, those are curated lists. They're not comprehensive. Yeah. And we've so many people write into us and they're like, does this thing exist? And we have to tell you. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, but we're going to share some tips, right, Mallory, for people who want uh, this comprehensive list, but it doesn't exist. Um, again, like Melissa said, um, there are most anticipated books um, and buzziest books. You can always rely on those. But yeah, Mallory, where do you go for a longer list? Yeah. Like the uh, Melissa was saying, those, those, uh, those uh, websites and blogs and stuff, they're really good for people who are a little more casual and just like want to know the buzz, buzzy books that are coming out every week. But for people who love a comprehensive list, and I love a concept comprehensive, comprehensive list. Um, we have some really Give good me tips. All and- the information so I can make my own choices. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to share some insider baseball here mm-hmm. on reading glasses, a little industry tips. Um, so first off, even if you're not a book reviewer, you can make a free account on NetGalley. NetGalley is a website that connects advanced e-copies of books to book reviewers. Um, Reading Glasses, of course, has an account that Bria and I share. Um, but the cool thing about it is that you can put in the genres of books that you like, and it'll show you all the books on the site in that category that are coming out within a year, um, which is really handy for us. I think on ours, we have like horror uh, YA, sci-fi, um, weird fiction. We have separate accounts. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, you use, do you use Bria Grant or reading glasses? I think I use Bria Grant. Oh, wow. I, I thought we shared this the whole time. No, I use the reading glasses account. Well, now I'm going to look because it, it's connected to my Kindle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah mine's, mine's Bria connected Grant. to Jeremy's Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I, you would, I would get all the books you request. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I have my own. It's, it's Bria Grant. Oh, well, I used. You, I didn't know you had one. an official reading glasses one because I get turned down for some, and I'm like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> like I can't believe you use the reading down. glasses one because sometimes people look it up. Because that's for listeners. That's the whole thing is that um, getting actually getting the copies of the books can sometimes be a little difficult because there's somebody on the other end at the publisher who is deciding personally, like, Oh, should I give an ebook to this particular person? Um, it's a lot of book bloggers and reviewers and stuff. And sometimes, um, people will look at a book blogger and be like, Oh, well, they don't have enough. They don't have enough of a reach. I'm not going to give this book to them, which eh, not, you know, it's the publisher's discretion. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, but B, so you're saying that anyone can go and look and see what's coming up on NetGalley. That's what's yeah, that's, what, that's for that, this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. Um, so I've been super fucking busy lately, as we both have been. Um, so I haven't been requesting a lot of arcs on NetGalley, but I still do like looking at it to see what books are coming out. Um, which is pretty. Uh, it's not. It's nice. Um, uh, because again, this is it's not something that uh, is available everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um. What about the other place to do this, Bria? Yeah, so I didn't know about this until we you wrote this down and we started talking about this. But but um but different website, same same deal is Edelweiss. Um, it's another book review fi- site. It's a little bigger. It's more industry focused for librarians and booksellers. And even if you don't make account an account, you can browse on there and see um, that pretty much all publishers release their entire catalog for each season. And even publishers who don't list their upcoming books on the website usually have them uh, on, on like their personal website. They'll have them on Edelweiss. Um, again, super comprehensive, but this is, and this is what the pros use. And it's probably the best place to go if you're looking for most titles. Um, but it's not 100% of everything, but it is a lot, right? Yeah, it, I, I think it's the best resource um, mm. if, if the publisher themselves doesn't have like a list on their website. And I, I mean, I get this frustration. I wish there was a magic website that let me type in all horror books coming out in 2021, uh, but there isn't. You know, what I usually do is check, I check Net, NetGalley, um, I look in their horror section, I check Edelweiss, um, I do a lot of Googling. Um, the new Tor horror imprint, Nightfire, released a pretty comprehensive list for this year. Um, some We've talked about it on the show, but some library websites have pretty good lists, but there's no real easy solution for this. I think, um, if you really are looking like, I think, um, uh, Melissa is looking for like the most comprehensive you can get Edelweiss is the way to go. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I agree that like I subscribe to a couple publishers mailing lists and those are helpful, but they're so specific. It's like this just for this one publisher. So it doesn't yeah. really help Melissa. Um, and yeah, and then I look for Rex. I mean, I will, I have to recommend, I mean, this is only a monthly show, but the professional book nerds do a good job of going through and doing Rex kind of in a lot of different categories at the beginning of a month of the month. This is not comprehensive, but if someone is listening to this right now and they're like, I would, I just want monthly Rex. That's what I would recommend listening to. Um, but yeah, it's, it, this is tough. And Melissa, maybe you're the person who's going to break the mold gotta figure it out maybe melissa's gonna the be the first person who list. does this truly i, I the, the big problem with it too is that um especially now during the pandemic um so many books publishing dates get shifted around um sometimes they get pushed up sometimes yeah. they get pushed back so it w- really would be a massive undertaking uh to create something like this but it would be fucking awesome um i know you know you and i get we get tons of these catalogs emailed to us um we get the ones from tour and tour.com, which we love. But even the thing is, even going through those takes a while. Like this, and there's a lot of books that you're like, wow, I didn't know this was coming out. There's so many so, books, y'all. So many books. I mean, thinking about that's just one publisher, and there are hundreds and hundreds of publishers, let alone the self published books that are coming mm-hmm. out, which are even harder to track. Um, it's there, there's no, there's no comprehensive central database for this for a reason, because it would be truly, uh, you know, uh, a heroic undertaking to do so. Um, but yeah, f- for folks listening, check out, um, check out NetGalley, check out Edelweiss. Uh, we'll put links to both in the show notes. If you are a librarian or other book industry professional professional, and you have more tips, let us know. I mean, I know the professional book nerds, they create their show because they have access to over, you know, they are overdrive. <laughs> yeah. So they have, um, overdrive, um, you know, they they get a ton of arcs. They uh, they have a good publishing calendar that they work with. I definitely listen to uh, Adam and Jill every. I mean, I I love their show. Obviously, there's no secret on reading glasses. Uh, but I definitely that's one of my favorite types of episodes they do every month. Is the um Same. you know what's coming this month episode? Yeah. It's so great. Um, but yeah, check out t- maybe try talking to your librarian, uh, Melissa. They might be of some help. But if not, try try these tips. Uh, you can send your thoughts to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Before we kick off spooky reading season with author and librarian Becky Spratford, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Rotman Business School. Y'all know the job market is just a freaking mess right now. It is insane. And whether you're looking for a new opportunity or you want to make yourself a stronger candidate for promotion, how you present yourself is key to taking the next step. So the executive presence, y'all have heard us talk about this, the executive presence program, this is the secret sauce to success. Rotman's unique virtual executive presence program will equip you with tools and tips to engage and influence others, which is great. That's what you need to do. And Rotman has designed this comprehensive virtual program to work around your current schedule. With Rotman's executive presence, you can balance working from home and watching the kids with building your emotional intelligence and making connections with peers across different industries. And you can do it from home. Remember, it's work from home. That is great. And the University of Toronto Rotman School of Management is one of the best schools in Canada, which is awesome. And also, it's one of the best schools in the world. It's ranked number 17 for open enrollment executive education by the Financial Times. So go to uft.me slash executive presence. That's uft.me slash executive presence to learn more and apply. Classes start September 15th. That's right around the corner. So start your application today to save your seat. It's virtual. Remember, you don't have to leave your home. So uft.me slash presence. Rotman, here's where it changes. Glasses. Hi, I'm Annabelle Gerrich. And I'm Laura House. And we're the hosts of Tiny Victories. My tiny victory is that I sewed that button back on the day after it broke. We talk about that little thing that you did that's a big deal to you, but nobody else cares. Did you get that Guggenheim Genius Award? We don't want to hear from you. We want little bitty tiny victories. My tiny victory is a tattoo that I added on to this past weekend. Let's talk about it. My victory is that I'm one year cancer free, but my tiny victory is that I took all of the cushions off the couch, pounded them out, put them back, 
and it looks so great. So if you're like us and you want to celebrate the tiny achievements of ordinary people, listen to Tiny Victories. It's on every Monday on Maximum Fun. So here we are with author, librarian, and secretary of the Horror Writers Association, Becky Spratford. Becky, it is so awesome to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. So first, most important question, what are you reading? Oh, and this is such a great question as we're recording this because I'm on deadline to write my four times a year horror review column for Library Journal. So I am literally synthesizing the last eight books I just read into oh, reviews. Oh, fantastic. I know. So one of the absolute best books that I have read all year, and definitely my top debut, is by horror up-and-comer Haley Piper. And it's her debut novel, and it's called Queen of Teeth. First of all, I need to preface this by saying that Haley Piper's tagline is that she is trying to make horror gay AF, but you know, as fuck, but she puts AF on Twitter to be kind to all. And she just totally, <laughs> we love it. I, I can't, as I just said to someone else, the only other book I can say this about that came out this year is um, My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, which I also loved. But of course, it's coming out right before this podcast drops, but I read it months ago because of reviews. Those two books are the only two books. I wish I had more than 200 words allowed in the reviews I write because there's so much here. But I just, just to set it off, Queen of Teeth starts super provocatively with what sounds like a gimmick. Yaya, our main character, finds teeth in her vagina. But then I'm already in. I'm already in. No, it's not a gimmick <laughs> because it's this great world building. It's a virus and she's part of this generation of kids that have grown up as chimeras who are property of this pharmaceutical company. So it's like a fun page turner with all this awesome visceral and bloody and just great monster hijinks and mayhem. But it's also a love story and a romance because there's a rom there's another character, Doc, who become and it's just I mean, if you want Godzilla vibes and like oh, great amazing. cosmic horror with tentacles, it's just perfect. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so already, I, as, as you're door. talking, I'm writing this down because I have to have this It's book. actually already out because it was getting <sighs> such great buzz. So the publisher pushed it up. It wasn't supposed to wow. come out until October. And I'm just so excited. I actually invited Haley Piper along with Stephen Graham Jones and Alma Katsu to be on a live uh, panel with me for the Chicago Public Library in October. Um, I can send you the link if you want to include it. It's totally free and yes. anyone can go. And we're doing it to highlight horror right before Halloween and celebrate it. But as part of my work with the Horror Writers Association, I also run Summer Scares, which is a library librarian vetted list of horror books uh, for all ages. And Stephen is a former spokesperson for that and a former author. Alma is a current Summer Scares author from last summer. And we invited Haley because she's an up and comer. And together, we're also going to make the live announcements of the 2022 spokesperson. So it's just, she's just an author that I want people to know about. And like you said, the book sells itself, but it's not a gimmick. Like she totally brilliantly and effortlessly pulls off this dystopian alternative history or romance mashup. Oh my God. I am so, 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 so in, so, so in it's when Bria hears that she's also going to be in, but speaking of horror and librarians, you have to tell us about your new book or the new edition of your book that's coming out. Yes. So the reader's advisory guide to horror, it's put out by the American library associations imprint ALA editions. And this is the third edition, but I was just looking thinking about it the other day. And every time I've done an edition, it's like 90% new material. The last time this book came out was in 2012 with material that really was from 2010 and on. So basically the book comes out, you know, it's, it's an academic publisher, so there's no like release day, but on August 25th, it will be in the warehouse and it is shipping to pre-orders on the 26th of August. So it is out now for purchase. Um, and you can buy it through the ALA editions website or on Amazon. Although I will give people who aren't library workers a warning, 
there is some sticker shock. It is an academic book, <laughs> so it is not cheap, but I do have a coupon on my blog that, I, that you can get at any time. Um, but it's basically a preview overview of the horror genre for library workers. Um, my job as the genre expert in the library world is to explain to library workers, both fans and not fans, why people love horror, why people want to be scared, while many of us want to discuss all those dark, terrible things in our books, but are very normal people on the outside <laughs> when you look at us. Um, and we're not going to go out and kill you. I like to tell one of my taglines for my book, it's always been, your horror readers aren't monsters. They just like to read about them. Uh, yeah. Uh, I need that on a shirt, Becky. <laughs> I know. They like, this time they're like, maybe it's in the book too many times. I'm like, I don't think this line can be in the book enough times. But that's the whole point. Like I survey, I don't spend a lot of time on the past. Um, other people have done that. There are footnotes to send you there. I really look at today, horror today, horror right now. That's why the new edition is completely different than previous editions, because that's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. And there is uh, there are three chapters sort of leading up to why people love horror, the current state of horror. And then at the end, there are three chapters on where to take people after, working with horror readers, marketing horror to everyone. And in the middle, the crux of the book are uh, 10 chapters of annotated lists by a basic appeal or theme or subgenre of horror. Um, and I wanted to have 25 titles, but they made me cut them down to 12. Um, and they're annotated with why someone would want to read them. But then I did include on my blog, uh, up to 12 more titles for each area, um, to make sure that there are plenty of books for library workers, whether they like horror or not, who can suggest them to readers to get more horror in people's hands. And I will say, writing this book during the bulk of it during the year that was 2020 mm -hmm. was quite interesting and difficult um, on top of me writing a book about horror during a horrific year uh, my husband is a family practice doctor who treats covid patients so we had that going so we're an essential worker family um, I got hit by a car. Oh my you know, god! <laughs> I feel like I got like my Stephen King like. I was wound. just gonna say, geez, um, I feel like I, you need to get yeah. a patch to like the Stephen King Author Club. Seriously, I feel like I earned my horror stripes as a writer, and then also my husband ended up catching um, COVID and was hospitalized for four days. So it was a lot, and I'm oh just glad god. the book came out in time to help horror. Uh, loving patrons so that library workers can use it for this horror season. Yeah, it was, it was a lot, but you know, it's done. <laughs> you are a horror hero. Oh my gosh. I, yes. Well, speaking of, so what you are the horror librarian is that's yes. what, what I always refer to you as what drew you to horror in the first place? Are you, did you get into it as yeah. a kid? Have you always been a horror freak? I don't think I knew I was, but I always was. So, um, you know, when in the library world, there's oftentimes I work in public, I worked in public libraries for many, many years. And, and the children's department is always asking like one time a year for like children's book week, everybody on staff, tell us your favorite books when you were a kid and we'll put them up and we'll get the kids to put their favorite books. And I was like, you know, the book that I read over and over and over again as a child, looking back, it's a little creepy. I was obsessed with Shel Silverstein's poetry. Oh. And so like, yeah, like obsessed, like reading A Light in the Attic and Where the Sidewalk Ends over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, we looking back, they're dark, you know, they're slightly askew from reality, but with a dark undercurrent. And then, and I always remember this, I was younger than 13 because every Wednesday, I was the oldest of three girls and um, every Wednesday night and being the oldest, I was the only one that had Hebrew school on Wednesday nights because my sisters weren't old enough yet to go more than just Sundays. And my dad would pick me up and we couldn't go home right away because the younger ones were being put to bed. So he took me to the local mall. I grew up in New Jersey. So, of course, it was a local mall. And we went to the bookstore because back then malls had bookstores. And um, he just let me go anywhere. Now, my dad liked Stephen King and I knew that. But I found, and I know I had to be younger than 12 because I had my bat mitzvah then, so I wasn't going to Hebrew school after that. I found the occult section and VCN. Oh, boy. And that, yeah. And that was the end for me. I think I just <laughs> went on from there. That is awesome. So you, you 
our librarian working to both help people get into horror and help them once they get into horror find more horror why do you believe that this is such an important genre you know a lot of it goes to the appeal of the genre itself so people and the appeal of fiction right so people need an escape from the real horrors in the world and no more now than ever before you know more now than ever before but it's always been that way so like what we see in times of great stress like the last couple of years you see an increase in people reading gentle reads things like the hallmark channel and romance and then an equal increase in horror and i like to say that why horror is important and why people need horror is because it makes you look at the real world from a lens that's even worse. But you can't help but say, okay, my life isn't that bad, but there's also things here I see that I can use to sort of battle the demons in my own life, um, both you know the mental ones and the literal ones. It's extremely important way for people to also sort of reconcile that dark side of humanity and for many people, horror is a way to deal with the with their own mortality because much of horror has to do with things that are coming back from the dead, not all, but things that have to do with death and coming back from the dead and battling very mortal dangers. And for many readers, it's an important way to reconcile those real things that are in their lives. And many people who don't like to be scared and remember, being scared is a, one of our fears, a primal instinct that we are born with as animals. This is not something unique to humans. Um, and some people don't understand liking to be scared because it's, and that's fine. We don't force horror on those people, but many do find a thrill, an illicit thrill in it. And it's in a way, it's an emotion that they can't capture anywhere else. Um, so I have readers who, who say things like this book scared me so much. I had to go and I had a patron do this, bury it in the backyard. I put it in oh a plastic bag, don't worry. And then when it was when it was due, I dug it back up and it's clean. Right. But I loved every minute of it. You this know, person needs to be my friend. I love this person. I know this person was great. Um, so, but the thing is like, that's important. Like we have to validate how different people cope with the world and fiction is an escape. And you don't get to judge how people want to escape. Um, and this is, it's important. These are emotions, like I said, that are built into our, into our evolution as just animals and we can't neglect them. And it's fun. <laughs> yes. So are there any things about horror that you wish more readers or librarians knew? Yeah. Are there any like mis misconceptions about horror that you want to fix? You know, the fact that we're not all serial killers. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's the most basic one. And I think, I think the more mainstreaming of horror um, has allowed that the idea that we're all serial killers to go away. <laughs> but there are a lot of misconceptions that it's all bloody and that it's all gore and that it's all extreme. And that is just, just not the case. Yes, there is that, but there are so many stories that are, you know, what we call quiet horror or, absolutely terrifying with no machetes or fanged monsters coming out. I think the best author, and I've already mentioned her, is Alma Katsu, who writes award-winning historical horror. The Hunger is one of her most popular, and The Deep. Um, she has another horror coming out next year where they are historically based. The Hunger's about the Donner Party, already horrific. And it's true to that, except she introduces this occult supernatural force that's also stalking them, as well as just nature and, you know, the horribleness of people when they're under stress. Um, and I think that those stories are finding a wider audience and people say things like, oh, I didn't know that was horror. And I think we see it also in some of the most popular subgenres right now. And I tackled those as the last three chapters in that in my book in those those themed, those 10 chapters that are themed, those are three brand new chapters I put in, which are psychological horror, this weird fiction, and um, also with Lovecraftian, and body horror. That's where I'm seeing a lot of new readers come in, um, especially psychological horror and body horror. Body horror is so uh, intimate and understandable, even though it can be gross, but it's about how our bodies can betray us in ways that the body is used in to be disfigured and in grotesque ways, but it's 
something people can relate to because everyone has a human body or psychological horror, which I like to describe as this story will break you, but you'll be glad you read it. The, my example is The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul oh, Tremblay. Yeah, yeah. You, you know we're big Paul Tremblay fans on this yes, podcast. Yes, I know. <laughs> and that book is just, I mean, and, and then, then there's the other thing that people, there's a misconception that it's not thought provoking in any way. That it's just, and, and I, I think that is also changing. We see these very serious contemplations of the, of the slasher genre. Um, you know, there's books this year by Stephen Graham Jones and Grady Hendrix that deal with it, but there's been academic papers written about slashers and what they mean and how they reflect on society. So there is this changing of the idea that that horror can be thought provoking, but don't ever call it literary horror. I told my editors, they put <laughs> the word literary in front of the word horror in one of my reviews. I'm done. I will never <laughs> write for them again because that just disparages the rest of horror. Um, yes. But there is this, you know, these authors like Amakatsu and Stephen Graham Jones and Paul Tremblay and Victor Lavalle, like they're all bringing up, and, and Carmen Maria Machado, who's one of my favorites, um, bringing up these issues that are very serious. Even in that fun Haley Piper book, the contemplation of gender identity and marginalization is at the heart of this book. Um, but it's a fun, you know, monster fest too. I mean, amen to that. Uh, so speaking of genres and things like body horror and weird fiction, do you have any types of horror books that you find yourself recommending a lot or that readers are requesting a lot? Yeah. So I think readers are either requesting, I, I think Amakatsu is a great example of people that are new to horror who heard about her and she's a little bit lighter touch on the, on the scares um, well, no, the scares are there, but the on the gore and the in-your-face. So she's drawing a lot of people to the genre, and then they're coming to more. But it's not so much the subgenre; It's the feel people are looking for. And so we, I, didn't, I don't have people coming and asking for, like, vampire stories that much anymore, even though people love them. They're not really asking for them. People want help finding the books that are sort of on the edges of the genre, books that they can't classify on their own or find on their own. They don't want Stephen King, right? Because they can find Stephen King on their own. They don't need my help for Stephen King. So I am doing a lot of the psychological horror. I'm suggesting a lot of that. I'm doing a lot of finding people new voices before they break big. They want to know about the Stephen Graham Joneses before everybody knows about him. And um, they want to know, hey, I liked Paul Tremblay. I didn't think I liked horror. I liked Grady Hendrix. I didn't think I liked horror. Who should I try? And I go out of my way to make sure that I am giving them names that they're not going to find somewhere else, that they're really going to enjoy with an especial focus on the fact that there are systemically marginalized voices that did not get a chance to shine previously. And I go out of my way to recommend those to people. Um, and I think that's important because nobody understands horror more than people who have faced systemic oppression because that is real life horror. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's, it's no coincidence that the best stuff being written is by people like Stephen Graham Jones, who's a Native American, or Alma Katsu, who's Asian American, or Victor Laval, who's both, you know, has mental illness and is African American. Like it's not there's there's no mistaking that Haley Piper as a trans woman writing unapologetically gay stories that everybody loves it's because these people have internalized true horror and can put it out in my book I have a great quote from uh debut novelist John Fram which he shared with me oh I love journal. the Brightlands so much I, the Brightlands is fantastic and he gave me a quote for when I used in library journal in 2019. And then I put it the, in the introduction of my book and it, it is, he's writing about, you know, as somebody writing unapologetically gay stories, it's, it's just fun to watch the rest of He calls it mainstream America finally be part of our gaslit era, right? They can <laughs> see the true horror in the world that I've always seen. And I just think he says it much more brilliantly in the preface, but it's just, it encapsulates everything I'm trying to do when suggesting. Fantastic. So 
we have to ask, as, as the horror librarian, what is your reader wheelhouse? What are subjects or tropes that will always get you to pick up a book? And I know that you love wheelhouses and actually train other library workers how to talk to people about them. Yes. Um, and in, in the library world, we call them appeal factors, right? Which but is really so just sexy. Exactly. It's exactly wheelhouses, right? It's why you love a story, not what happens in it or even what genre it's in. And yes, I don't just train library workers on how to help horror readers. I actually go all over the country and teach them how to understand their own reading preferences so they can help other people find books that are based on their own reading preferences. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this about myself. And what I've realized is I love stories that are slightly askew. And that's my wheelhouse. And what I mean by that is they're not magical realism. And, and they're just books that are very reality-based, which a horror novel has to be, or you will not believe it. Um, and, and yet just, just enough off of reality that I'm falling into the story and I'm intrigued by what are the rules in this world, but also slightly askew in a dark way, like those Shel Silverstein poems. So that's why I really like dystopian science fiction. I don't like large fantasy epics though as much because they're not, they're a little bit too askew, right? They're too magical. But I also love true crime, psychological suspense with serial killers. And I really enjoy literary fiction, which is very dark. And the best literary fiction is just a little bit outside of the reality of at least my world that I'm really taking a look at it with, a, like I said, a dark undertone. And that's why horror fits so perfectly because it really is this, it's our world, it's your world right now, but there's a monster amok or something supernatural out to get people. And I want to watch what happens because I don't know. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. So <laughs> Becky, you've told us where to get your book and we're going to link to um, the, the, the website and um, whatever in the coupon on your blog. Where mm. can listeners find you online and get more amazing uh, horror book recommendations from you. Yeah. So my company, which trains librarians is called RA for all. And so the blog will be in the notes, but it's, if you just type the word RA for all into Google, you will find me everywhere. I'm on Twitter at RA for all, where I mostly talk about library things and horror, uh, once in a while, other stuff, but if you don't want books and you don't want horror, don't come there. <laughs> I do take questions all the time from people looking for their next read. Um, but I do a lot of my work on, that blog, RA for All, and its evil twin, RA for All Horror, which is a free <laughs> update to the book. So I do a lot of stuff there. I'm posting about how to help readers find books, links for you to help yourself find things to read, although it's geared toward library workers. But, you know, you can look at it too if you're just a general reader. And that's where I am mostly. And then I write reviews in book list and library journal. It's always fun to see like, one time there was a Joe Hill ad, like a full page ad in the New York Times and it had my review at the top. But of course, um, and it, it had a quote from it, but it'll just say book list review or library journal. We don't get our names on them out in the world. Uh, but that's a lot of horror that's being reviewed in those major publications is coming from me too. So you can see my work in a lot of places. Fantastic. Becky, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to have been here. It was really fun. Now let's answer a bookish question from one of our listeners. Dana writes in, I work at a library and part of my job is shelving the books. I have slowly come to notice that most Harlequin paperback romance novels have a date and a four digit number on the spine. At first, I thought the date number were date slash number were when the book took place, figuring that the number was the year. For example, the Kentucky Cowboys baby by Heidi Hormel had August 16th, 1608 on the spine. But this book takes place in modern times, and most of the novels I saw weren't historical. After that, I realized that the four-digit number isn't a year, it's a serial number. I think that's the number of books this imprint has published, but that still left me with another question. What's up with the date? I then thought that it might be the release date and did some uh, cross-referencing, but the release date didn't match up with the date on the spine. It's actually very weird because the date on the spine is always, as far as I can tell, two weeks to a month after the release date. They're probably somehow related, but I can't figure out how. Uh, also, um, uh, Dana wrote in with, with the real house. Um, here it is, uh, characters who are overdramatic and are really bad at expressing their true emotions. It's very funny. 
dramatic secret identity reveals, magic sci-fi training schools, women characters who are really good at fighting with a sword or just fighting in general, dragons, especially if the main character is friends with them, LGBTQ found family, secret passageways to other worlds, subtle slow burn romances, especially if they're queer, especially if they write letters to each other. And one more thing, a PBS, after listening to the episode where Mallory mentioned that she maybe found a pube in her library book, I was horrifically reminded of the grossest thing I have ever found in the library book at work, which was a pair of toenail clippers. Genuinely in the book, needless to say, we threw the the clippers out. How would you even keep it in there? How would they not fall out immediately? Must be a thick-ass book. Or thin-ass toenail clippers. Yeah, thin-ass toenails. Small toenail clippers. That's very funny. Um, Mallory Mallory the sleuth figured this out. Mallory sleuthed around. Well, I was going to ask you because I know you used to work at a library. I would have had were... no idea. I would have had no idea. It was. It's very interesting, but it, now that we know the answer, it makes sense. Uh, it's the acquisition date for the book. Yeah. It's 1608 is August 16th. Um, it's so librarians know when the book came in and how long it's been in the library. Um, that way they can track how many times it's been checked out since it came in and other information like that. Um, sometimes library libraries don't get books right after they first come out. So that might be why the dates are always a little bit after the book's release. Like they buy the book, um, when it gets released and then it gets, takes like two weeks or a month to get there. I don't know. Um, that is, I think we solved it. That's, that's the closest I could find. Where'd you get that info? I guessed. Oh, you guessed. Oh, I could. I could. I couldn't do any googling for it. Oh, I thought you asked a librarian. Okay. Well, I I feel like we can ask Brazos. It, right. it sounds right to me. Acquisition dates are really important. Again, so librarians can check out. Okay, when did we get this? How many people have checked it out recently? Are people checking it out? Should we bother keeping it here? Um, yeah, I'm googling now. I can't find it, but we should. That's the best that I, I, I think that's what the mystery is. And Dana, I'm sorry you had to find a pair of toenail clippers. That's pretty gross. Yikes. <laughs> so if you want us to solve your reader problem or answer your bookish question, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, you can buy so much cool stuff in the brand new Void Merch Reading Glasses store. Um we adore, adore Void Merch. Uh, we actually had someone write in recently to tell us about how cool Void Merch was. And I was like, we know. <laughs> they do our merch. They're absol- we, we absolutely adore them. The designs they did for uh, all of our new stuff is amazing. Um, the libraries are fucking awesome shirt that I bought. I wear all the time. It, just because I like it. Even Not even just because it's my podcast. I'm legit wearing a um, Void Merch shirt right now that is not our podcast. It says book adjacent because I love the shirt. It is a really good shirt. Yeah. Um, so you can check it out in the show notes. And if you want to do something for us for free, you can like, uh, you can rate and review the show on iTunes. It is great for us. It makes us feel very good about ourselves. It makes advertisers think we're really fancy. It makes new listeners of the show curious about us. They're like, oh, reading glasses, more than a thousand reviews, uh, most of them five stars. Wow, I should check this out. It really, really helps us. And it takes 30 seconds. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast. On Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for reading. reading.